0: Our Father in heaven, we never know what a day will bring. This has been a beautiful spring day. Uh, We're coming over here and enjoyed some time out there on the patio, just just enjoying the day. What a difference from 24 hours before. We, we in our lives, we never know what a day will bring. We just don't know. And... uh, we, we, we saw the coverage, and we heard the radio, and um, a lot of damage, a lot of, uh, lot of upheaval. We, we are amazed at how um, life turns out. We make our plans. We have our dreams. We um, oftentimes put them down on paper. But we just don't know. We can't control life. Um, We look at the events of yesterday, and from what I've heard in in our area, as as great as those uh, tornadoes were and all that, to my knowledge, no one died. Um, We've all had times in our lives where we should have been dead and we're not. We didn't die. Uh, Psalm 68 says, to the Lord belongs, escapes from death. Uh, Maybe it was when we were in high school, just behind a car, driving crazy, not using our head. Or other situations where uh, our life was in peril. Uh, Maybe in a hospital room where we we were right on the cusp and you reached down and brought us back. Um, You oversee our entire lives, from beginning to end, from the womb to the tomb. Uh, our days are numbered, Job said, and a man can't go past them. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. And in thy book, they were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. You have a plan for our lives. Uh, we so often, Lord, are duped into thinking that we have control in our lives. And uh, events like yesterday remind us that we have very, very little control. We can control some things, our decisions, our choices. But life can quickly get way beyond our abilities. I I am mindful of of that short interview with the lady who, uh, the tornado hit her house. And with her daughters, two little girls, she ran into the bathroom and she said, I ran into the bathroom and then I prayed. Um, even people, and I don't know this lady, don't know her, her walk with you, if she knows you. I don't know if she's a Christian. But, but Lord, so often when things are out of our control, we pray. Even people that normally don't call on you, they pray. And why would we pray? Because it may be out of our control, but it's not out of your control. And intuitively we know that in our hearts. Every guy in here has some area of his life that he can't get his arms around that is out of his control. It could be finances, it could be a marital situation, a situation with a, with a child, it could be a health-related issue. We just can't quite get that thing the way we want it. So we look to you because you control all things. Even if it involves another person, you control human hearts. So often we read in the scripture of great kings and authority, you will say, I put a spirit in him. You inclined his heart. You turned his heart. We look to you because you control everything. We don't understand how you do that. That is a great mystery to us. You even control tornadoes and natural disasters. Amos 3, 6 says, can a calamity come upon a city? unless the Lord sends it. We don't understand how that works. We don't understand it. But when we really think about it, we take solace in it, because you control all things. All things. Even natural disasters. And the people, the individual people, their lives, within that disaster, you have a plan for their lives. But that, That's a lot for us to comprehend. But if we really think about it, it makes us very secure. Because you do have a plan and you're a good God. Uh, We're all gonna die. It's just a matter of when and it's a matter of where and it's a matter of how. That's part of your plan. Uh, We'll all die unless Jesus returns and we are a part of that great moment. But Lord, even in death, you're merciful. Even in death you're gracious. And for those of us who call upon the name of Christ and trust him as our savior, we trust him to save us from our sins. Death is not something to be feared. It's something to be welcomed. It is a promotion. It's far better to be with you. So wherever we are in life, we acknowledge today that our life is under your control. We want our hearts and minds to be under your control. Give us wisdom, Lord, to, uh, to submit our lives to you. The things that are out of control, we cast them on you. We really do. We cast them on you because you care for us and you control all things. We throw our worries upon you, our fears upon you. Thank you for grace and mercy and kindness and deliverance. You're a savior. You always have been. You always will be. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So once again tonight, we are in. Uh, I'm doing a little different deal on the. Uh, I got a timer back there, which I ignore. But uh, we got a little something different we're doing tonight. So I'm using the timer on my iPhone. We'll see how that works. And I'll explain to you in a minute why. You'll see why. We're going to throw something on the board, which I never do, but I'm going to do it tonight. Because I had a spark of creativity. About once a year. Spark of creativity. Uh, hey, we're back in 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. We're doing a study. Uh, and the title of the study would come from this verse. The, the verse is, uh, is very brief. It has four bullets as Paul's winding up his instruction to the church at Corinth. And the four little bullet points that he gives to them, he says in 1613 of 1 Corinthians, he says to these believers, he says, be on the alert. That's number one. Secondly, stand firm in the faith. Number three, he says, act like men. Number four, he says, be strong. The one we are centering upon is the one that says, act like men. Um, We we have, uh, now why are we doing this? Why are we, why are we? looking at a phrase one phrase out of four why are we spending a number of weeks on this and the phrases act like men we're doing it I I, I think it's safe to say as we look at our country uh, no matter where you are whatever your political leanings would be I, I think it's safe to say this we're in big trouble the reason we are in big trouble is the further you get away from the Word of God the further you get away from scriptural truth the more trouble you find yourself in, um, I, I uh, James Madison said this. Uh, John Adams basically said the same thing. George Washington basically said the same thing. Now I've got it memorized. I'm not sure which one of the three said it, but I got quote. I've got quotes from all three guys that basically say the same thing, and the same thing is this: is that our demo- And de Tocqueville also said the same thing. That our democracy is, is for a good and godly people. And when you get away from Christianity and you get away from biblical truth, this system will not work. Now that's where we are. And you can look at any facet of it. And we got a lot of problems on our plate. Um, you get away from what the scripture teaches about money and you're going to find yourself going over a cliff. Unless you have the ability to print money now if we print money we're going to jail but we got a group of guys that are able to print money and they think they'll print money right on and they'll just keep well eventually there's a day of reckoning isn't there even if you're able to print money you know that and I know it if you get away from what God teaches in regard to money in your home or in your business you violate the word of God in regard to money in your business you're going to have bad times Now, you may be able, because of certain powers that you have, you might be able to forestall it, but you're still going to go over the cliff. There's still going to be a day of reckoning. You know it, and I know it. That's just financially. Uh, Talk about marriage. God has said certain things about marriage. And to the degree that a husband and wife are attempting to be in submission to to the Lord in regard to what he says about marriage, uh, weddings are easy. Marriage is hard. Weddings are an industry. I know. If uh, three of my kids have been married, we were married last year within nine months. I became very quickly acquainted with the wedding industry, and the traditions that did not exist when I got married. Somebody invented those traditions. Somebody's making money off those traditions. I spent money on the traditions, and you know what I'm talking about. You see, there's a wedding industry but weddings as stressful as they are for the bride and the mother and everybody's all stressed out weddings are easy marriage is hard why is marriage hard because you got two people that are both broken you got two people that are both flawed you got two people that are both sinners and you get married for the rest of your life that's what god says <clears throat> that's hard that that that's hard the only way marriage works Well, let's put it this way. The further you get from what God teaches about marriage, the more trouble you're going to have. In terms of how a husband treats his wife, in terms of how a wife treats her husband. And it's all in the scriptures. Scriptures talk about nagging wives. contentious woman is like living with a dripping faucet. You're wondering where that is, aren't you? You want to know the reference. I'm not giving it to you. You look that one up on your own, man. There are quite a few verses in Proverbs that talk about contentious women, nagging women. Why? Because women can do that. Sure they can. You see? The Bible says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. As with a weaker vessel, since she is a woman. Grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. That's 1 Peter 3, verse 7. Grant her honor as a... um, I'm blanking i got to start at the beginning. It's just how I am these days. Your husbands, likewise, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel and grant her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers may not be hindered. Uh, You you treat your wife with respect. You treat your wife with dignity. You're not a constant critic. You're not always riding her. You're not always criticizing her. She doesn't need that. You see? You live with your wife in an understanding way. Is there anything more difficult in the world to do? No. Why? Because you're not a woman. Women get women. Don't they? Women understand women. Do guys understand women? No. Stu Weber, my buddy, wrote a chapter in one of his books, and it was the chapter was called Do You Speak Woman? No. There's not a guy in here who speaks woman. But you gotta learn the language. You gotta learn it. And you you got to figure out how to speak and how to adapt because men are different from women. Aren't they different? Incredibly different. You see? Now, the further you get away from what Scripture teaches, if a guy gets abusive, you see? If... uh, And I'll tell you, a lot of women are, are mistreated. A lot of women are abused, you see? Wherever Christianity has gone, it has freed women. It's liberated women. It's, it's not Christianity that does honor killings, is it? No, it's not. Wherever Christianity has gone, the status of women has gone up because Christianity teaches that both male and female are created in the image of God. So there is dignity and worth, and we are to treat one another in certain ways. But when you get away from that, you got trouble. And we've got big trouble. Okay. Doesn't matter what area of life you look at. The further you get away. Here's my point. The further you get away from what God teaches and what God says. God created this whole deal. He is the creator. He is the living God. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. It all belongs to him. Uh, (laughs) He created us. He created the universe. He owns it all. He created it all. He sustains it all. In him we live and move and have our being. You cannot breathe without him. Why does it make sense to not listen to what he says? It makes no sense to not listen to what he says. If uh, you're a farmer in the 1930s and you're out in the middle of Nebraska somewhere and you got your old Model A pickup and you're going in the town and Sucker breaks down on you and you get under the hood. It's not that complicated. You're pretty good with your hands. You're pretty good with mechanical stuff. You start, you know, twinking around with this thing and and working on it. And for the life of you, you can't get it going. It's hot. You're in the middle of nowhere. There's nobody within 20 miles. You're in trouble. And then suddenly you see all down that road, you see some dust and you see some more dust. and Somebody's coming your way. And sure enough, here comes another Model A. Guy sees you there, he pulls over, gets out, and he says, Hey, how are you doing? You having trouble? Well, a little bit. I can't get, can't get this thing going. He said, Well, I'm sorry to hear that. He said, uh, By the way, I'm Henry Ford. <laughs> Man, this is your lucky day. You just met the guy who invented the sucker. He says, You mind if I take a look? Yeah, no, go ahead. Crank that sucker up. There you go. I mean, the guy guy who invented the thing just showed up. God invented life. God invented marriage. God invented everything we do. Why not consult with him? The reason we are talking about this verse, Act Like Men, is that one of the byproducts of getting away from God and His truth and His word, and we've been doing it for generations, is that we have a young generation coming up and when you say to them, act like men, it's not true of all of them, it's true of many of them, they're not sure what you mean. We, we have gotten so far away from the markers that when you say act like men, there is tremendous confusion about what it means to act like a man. Uh, we, 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 uh, we have books, we have teachings that say uh, there is no difference between men and women. There is a great difference between men and women. I remember going through an airport years ago, saw a copy of Time magazine on the newsstand, and, and it said, I'll never forget, it said, the cover said, men and women, differences have been discovered. <laughs> and, you know, they gave some grant, $20 million grant to some professor in some university, and he found out there are differences between men and women. Well, they could have given me the 20 million. I would have proved it to them. You just come over to my house. I'll prove it to you. There are differences between men and women. You got a little boy. You got a little girl. They're different. Are they not? Yeah. See, our culture says, our culture says, when they say men and women are equal, they mean mean men and women are the same. We're not the same. We are not the same. We're both made in the image of God, but we're different. Why does Peter say, live with your wife in an understanding way? Because you don't have a period every 28 days in your life. Do you? And we thank God immensely that we do not. Can you imagine going through that every month? I wouldn't want to go through that. Amen, I hear that amen. Yeah. But women go through that. Women are not equal to men in terms of physical strength Unless you're married to a Russian woman shot putter named Olga (laughs) Who's who's on steroids You can be the same height as your wife You can be the same weight as your wife Get this You can be the same height as your wife The same weight But you're stronger than your wife Because God made men with 40% more muscle mass than women Yes he did but see, we live in a culture that saying, "Oh, they're the same. They're not the same. So, well, they can have this job and they can have this job. Well, there's a physical test to get that job. Well, they can't pass the physical test. Oh, well, then let's lower the standard. That's going to put somebody's life at risk. First ones that come to my mind are firefighters. Next one that comes to my mind are police officers. I saw a thing on TV one night, and this guy had a... A, a gal as a partner and he's going in to serve some subpoena to some some gorilla and uh, this guy starts pounding the crud out of him and he needs some help and here comes this this <laughs> girl running up there and and I you know I I, I mean it, it was pathetic and he just knocked the crud out of her you need a partner who can give you some help but she this, this guy just overpowered, I mean, he would have overpowered anybody I know. This guy was massive. It made no sense. It was ludicrous. If I'm a cop, I want a part, I'll tell you, yeah, let me tell you my ideal partner if I'm a cop. I want some guy about 6'7, about 290, with about 6% body fat who can't read. <laughs> Don't you? I want King Kong sitting next to me. Because there are some bad dudes out there. Right? Now, what I just said, (laughs) that didn't fly. Although, you know what? 40 years ago, nobody would have had a problem with that. But what's happened in 40 years? We've gotten away from God you get away from God, you get away from God's wisdom, you get away from God's truth and you go insane, don't you? on every front and on every level, let's go back to act like men we've gotten away from what God says about men and women and marriage and human relationships and when you get away from what God says you get a generation who comes up that is confused about manhood because they haven't seen manhood and this has been going on for a long, long time. I'm making general statements here. There are exceptions, and we thank the Lord there are exceptions. Al Mohler is president of Southern Seminary. i got to keep my phone on with this little timer. Oh, I never turned it on. Hold on. (laughs) Resume. Uh, I'm already off, guys. I'm sorry. I've been going about how long? Seriously, how long do you think I've been going? About three minutes? Huh? Okay. All right. Well, whatever. We'll see how this goes. When you start nodding off, I'm going to quit. How's that? Al Mohler uh, is a great theologian. He is also a commentator. He has a blog. And he writes on social issues. And guy's is sharp as a... T- He's just sharp. Mohler is sharp. A uh, little book called Culture Shift. He has a chapter in here. Uh, are we raising a nation of wimps and the subtitle is a coddled generation cannot cope let me say that again a coddled generation cannot cope Uh, he refers to an article in psychology today and and let me say this when secular publications start picking up on this you know we got a problem okay Psychology Today, says, is really onto something with this article, A Nation of Wimps, written by Hera Estroff Murano. The article is must-reading for every parent. I'm going to read you a couple paragraphs here, just to kind of set it up where we're going. Murano begins her article with a portrait. Now get this in your head. Murano begins her article with a, with a portrait of cushioned childhood. She says, maybe it's a cyclist in the park, trim under his sleek metallic blue helmet cruising along the dirt path at three miles an hour on his tricycle. You think about that. A kid on a tricycle wearing a helmet. Just stay with me here. From there, Murano in her article talks about many of the parks in cities that have been built, follow me here, with all rubber-cushioned surfaces where kids, before they put in the rubber-cushioned surface, would fall and skin their knees. But now they don't skin their knees because the surface is rubber and it's cushioned, you see. So here's a little three-year-old on a tricycle, wearing a helmet, and if he falls, he won't skin his knee because we rubber, it's cushioned, we don't want him getting hurt. Follow me here. Some of you have very confused look on your face. I'm going somewhere with this. Uh, many of these kids aren't ever allowed to play alone. Their mommies and daddies are playing with them, making sure the little darlings don't experience even the slightest scrape, scratch, or scare. Uh, there are benches in this park area, and uh, some parents sit on them, but other parents... Are with their child as they ride every step of the way, so that they don't fall, so that they don't get hurt, so that they don't have an accident. Other parents sit on the bench, sit on the bench, observe, and let the kids figure it out for themselves. Okay. Uh, the point is, Moeller says many parents today are spending a great time, a great amount of their time, doing little more than, their, than protecting their children from life. Murano describes this as the wholly sanitized childhood without skin knees or the occasional C in history. We're coddling kids. We're protecting kids. We don't want them to get hurt. Uh, He goes on, I don't have time to read much of this. Uh, This this comes out in something called grade inflation. You ever heard of grade inflation? I never heard of it. They didn't have grade inflation when I was going to school. Uh, Nobody ever inflated my grades. In fact, I remember... I, we moved to a new town. I'm a sophomore in high school. So, between our, my freshman and sophomore year, I go, we move and I'm in a new high school. I'm out, I'm in a PE class, and I'm shooting baskets. And this coach comes up to me. He didn't know me. I mean, I just moved in. And he said, How come you're not playing basketball? And I said, Because I got a, a D in a class and so my dad won't let me play. And he said, uh, yeah, but you're still, you can still play under our rules. I said, yeah, but it's my dad's rule. He said, well, you ought to be out for basketball. I said, well, when I get my grade up, I can come out. He said, why don't I call your dad? <laughs> and this guy, I can tell you that I won't mention his name. I still remember this guy. He, 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 was, he, he thought he was tough. He's about 6'2", 220. He was about an inch short and 20 pounds short of my dad. And he was gonna call my dad and set him straight. I just, I just laughed. I said, well, you can call him. He's not gonna change his mind. A few days la- my dad never mentioned it to me. A few days later, he came out and he goes, hey, I talked to your dad. And uh, he's not gonna let you play. I said, I know. He said, well, I'll tell you this. I don't have much respect for your father. I said, well, I'll tell you something, sir. I'll never play for you, ever. And I never did. That was it for me. I wasn't that good anyway. (laughs) Now, my dad was All-State in basketball. My dad went to college on a full ride. Uh, That was it. I wasn't playing for that sucker. And I didn't. Now, why am I telling you that story? I'm still angry, I guess. Oh, great inflation. Thank you. Great inflation. I'm still hacked off with that guy. It was great inflation. See, did my dad, hey, did my dad love basketball? Yeah. Yeah. Did my dad love me? Yeah, more than basketball. Did my dad want to teach me some stuff to turn me into a man? Yeah. There are consequences. You, there, as he said, see, there's not a reasonable world you couldn't get a C. Am I asking for A's? No, just get a C. And what did you do? You messed around and you got a D. So you know what? You can't play until you get the C. Is that brutal? Is that being hard on me? Is that hurting my self-esteem? No, he's teaching me to be responsible. And he wasn't given in on principle, was he? And I said to him, I said, I'll tell you what. And I said to the coach, I said, well, I, I said, I'll tell you what. I'll never play for you because I do respect my dad and what he's doing is right. And I graduated and I went to a junior college up the hill and I thought, well, I'll go out and play J.C. ball. And guess who the new coach was when I went up there. <laughs> so I went directly to the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was it for me. Great inflation, he goes on in here, and you know what he talks about? Uh, The guy, Lawrence Summers, who used to be president of Harvard, realized when he was president of Harvard that 94% of the students graduated with honors. Did you get that? Uh, It talks in here that one of the biggest problems going on in universities, yeah, I got the quote right here. Warren Summers, former president of Harvard, discovered when he assumed the university's presidency in 2001, 94% of the college graduates were graduating with honors. Uh, Peter Stearns, George Mason University, argues that grade inflation is the institutional response to parental anxiety about school demands on children. That's insane. Grade inflation is giving kids grades they haven't earned. You see? And, one of the most, and he's got another quote in here that one of the most difficult things to do, uh, Stephen Hyman, Harvard University provost and former director, says that parental interference is interfering with the core mission of the university because they want their kids to be camp- pampered and have better grades. So you have a thing going on now that if your kid plays on a little team, every kid on the team gets a trophy. Every kid. Why would every kid get a trophy? We used to have something called MVP, most valuable player. Well, we're all valuable. Well, actually, he's better than you are. Yeah, he's better at that. Maybe you're better at math. Maybe you ought to do math, man. You see? But we want everybody to feel good about themselves. We're coddling them. We're coddling these kids. So our little playgrounds have little cushioned... Think about this. A kid on a cushioned surface... Riding a tricycle with a helmet on. Why would he have a helmet on? You you know, I was looking at something that John Adams said this week. And I don't have this quote exactly right. But John Adams, in his diary, said uh, he was writing. I don't have this exactly right. But something to the effect that 1768 has been a very good year for me, spending time with my family and on the farm and working my practice. I've had time to think. That's what he said. I've had time to think. It's a good thing to think. That was a good year for him. Why? He had time to think. See, so much of our lives, we're so busy and so much stuff is happening, we don't have time to think, we just react. So much of our lives is like what we saw yesterday on the news with those tractor trailers, actually the trailers, just flying through the air. Don't you feel that way sometimes? You're just trying to go through life. It comes another trailer. Right? You're not thinking, I wonder how much that trailer weighs. You're reacting and getting out of the way. You're trying to survive. And then you go another, boom, here comes another trailer. Sometimes life is that stressful, isn't it? But not for him that year. He had time to think. See, so you look around at what's going on in our culture. We are feminizing an entire generation is what we're doing. And so you say, well, what does this have to do with me? Paul says act like men. No wonder they don't know how to act like men. I want to show you a picture a guy emailed to me this afternoon. Uh, We were talking about this, and I think Jason's got it up. Can you see that? That's a playground. That picture comes from the Dallas Library uh, if you really get close to it, that's a playground on a school. I figure about 1920s, 1930s. That's the play. That's the jungle gym. Sure. That is a lawsuit waiting to happen. <laughs> How you see those guys on the front? You see those boys standing up on that sucker? And now look underneath. There's a swing. There's two of them on the swing. There must be a law against that. If you go to the right, underneath the first one on the right, you see a kid sliding down a pole. How far, how high up do you think those kids are? I mean, honestly, what what would you figure? It looks to me 20 feet at least. 20 feet on on a school playground. Notice you have a kid underneath sitting on his bike. There is no helmet. Look at this kid on the left underneath Coming out, what what the heck is he doing? Swinging out, his feet are almost straight up in the air. He wanted to see how far he could jump. He's 10 feet away from any apparatus. Look at this. He's He's falling is what he's doing, Jim. He is ready to fall, and there is no cushion surface. I didn't hear what he said. I still can't hear it. Throw some dirt. Yeah. Yeah, there's not a cushioned surface there. Now, unless I miss my guess, you know what's interesting about this? The guy who sent me this picture, he said, unless I'm wrong, these are the guys that went off and fought World War II. That's very profound. They were not coddled. They were risk takers. They were aggressive. They were nuts. But that's how little boys are supposed to be. Is it not? Okay. Where's my stuff? I, I'm I'm just editing, and I've lost all track of. Uh, I got an hour and twelve minutes to go. This is good. This guy named Stephen Clark. Stephen Clark wrote a book in 1980. That um, here's my copy of it. It, um, I think it's one of the greatest books written in the last hundred years. It's out of print. It's called Man and Woman in Christ. Man and Woman in Christ. You can't get it, you can only find it online at uh, cbmw.com. Um, but Man and Woman in Christ, Stephen Clark, he's a Roman Catholic theologian, he's also a sociologist. If if there was a nuclear holocaust and you and your wife were the only ones left, and you had to start the human race all over again, and you ha- if you had a Bible, you'd be fine. If I could choose another book, if I had to start a civilization, I'd take this book with my Bible. That's how profound it is. He, uh... Let me find my mark. I've, I've quoted Clark before in here. I quoted him last year when we did Boaz. I want to quote him again. Uh, in fact, I want to quote Marion Levy, who he quotes. Marion Levy in 1966, because you say, see why are you doing this? Because we're talking about acting like men. Why are we in the place that we are where we have a generation of young guys who are coming up who want to um, prolong adolescence? and put off manhood. I've mentioned in here that the age group that buys more video games than any other group is the ages of 34 to 35. Why do they buy so many? Well, number one, they can afford it. Number two, most of them aren't married because they put off marriage because they don't want to get married. They don't want the responsibility because if you are married, they don't mind having sex. They don't mind living with some chick and splitting the bills. But they don't want to get married because they don't want the responsibility because they want to prolong adolescence and put off manhood. So they don't want the responsibility of a wife. They sure as heck don't want the responsibility of kids, you see. So they're what we would call boy men or child men. And they can afford these toys. Okay, How did we get here? Marion Levy in 19... And if you've heard me go over this before, forgive me, but it's worth repeating. Um, He was a sociologist at Princeton in 1966. He said, our young are the first people of whom the following can be said. If they are males, they and their fathers and their brothers and sons, and all the males they know are overwhelmingly likely to have been reared under the direct domination and supervision of females from birth to maturity. That's significant. I mentioned a few weeks ago the way that boys were raised for thousands of years. You'd get married, you'd have kids. At the age the mom would raise the kids up to the age of six or seven. At the age of six or seven, no later than seven, then the boy would go to work with his dad. This was before the Industrial Revolution. If his dad was a farmer, he'd go into the fields with his dad for 10, 12 hours a day. If his dad was a shopkeeper, he'd, you know, the, the shop, the house was attached to the shop, to the side of it, behind it, or above it. So you'd go to work, you'd just go, you know, down the stairs and into the shop. He'd be with his dad 10, 12 hours a day. He'd, he'd learn a trade, he'd learn a craft, he'd learn how to be a man. Because the guy he was with 10, 12 hours a day with his father, was a man who taught him masculinity, taught him how to be a man, how you deal with other men, how you deal in the community. He learned how to, you didn't have a masculinity crisis, you see. But when, when the Industrial Revolution came along, we built factories for the first time, men were taken out of the home, and the World Book Encyclopedia says serious social evils developed. Because boys should be raised by their fathers. Boys should be raised by men. We have an elementary school system, and elementary schools are loaded with female teachers. Well-meaning, who care, but little boys need men. Okay? He says, Our young are the first people of whom the following can be said. If they are males, they and their fathers and their brothers and sons and all the males they know are overwhelmingly likely to have been reared under the direct domination and supervision of females from birth to maternity. No wonder we're not sure what it means to act like men. If you've, always, if you've just been around women, how would you know how to act like a man? Good women. Thank God for them. But they're not men. Okay? Doesn't mean a woman can't have a great influence on a guy. Because he can't. They can't. But you've got to have men. Uh, he goes on and says, he says, to put the matter as dramatically as possible, we don't even know whether viable human beings can, over any long period of time, be reared in such a fashion. He goes on and says, uh, we're not sure this will last three, uh, three generations. Some of us alive today will know if it can work three generations later. Guess what? It's not working. Then Clark goes on and talks about feminization. You guys still with me? Okay. He talks about feminization. What is feminization? Feminization is the, is, is the result of what happens when a man is raised primarily in the presence of women without male leadership, okay? He's going to be real careful here, and I want to say this to you. When I read this, you're going to recognize some things in you, in here. Okay? First time I read it, I thought, my gosh, you can't see me. Some of that's in me, and it was. And I had a strong dad. But what I'm saying to you, this is so strong in our culture, it's virtually impossible for a man to escape this. Now here's the good news. Feminization can be easily detected and it can be easily reversed. Okay? That's the good news. So keep that in mind as I read this to you. Stephen Clark says being feminized is not the same thing as being effeminate or being feminine. Not the same, not even close. A feminized male is a male who has learned to behave or react in ways that are more appropriate to women. Why? He's been raised by women, that's all he's seen. Okay? The feminized male can be normal as a male, with no tendencies to reject being male, no tendencies towards homosexuality, yet he can have been so influenced by women and can have been, I lost my place, or can have so identified himself with a world in which women dominate that many of his interests and traits are more womanly than manly. Compared to men who have not been feminized, he will place much higher emphasis and attention on how he feels and how other people feel. He will be much more gentle and handle situations in a soft way. He will be much more subject to the approval of the group, especially emotionally expressed approval. That is how others feel about him and what he is doing, how others react to him. Whenever you see a politician who will take a poll to figure out what position he should take, he's feminized. Just know it. I don't care how many women he sleeps with. He is feminized. Okay? Just know that. He will sometimes tend to relate by preference to women and other feminized or feminine men, and he will sometimes have a difficult time with an all-male group. He will tend to fear women's emotions, and in his family and at work, he can easily be controlled by the possibility of women, his mother, his wife, or co-worker, having an emotional reaction, because he wants wants to be connected, he doesn't want a problem. And if there's going to be an emotional reaction, Well, he can't handle that, so they can manipulate him by the emotional reaction, okay? Instead of principle. He will tend to idealize women, and if, catch catch this, he will tend to idealize women. And if he is religious, he will tend to see in women the ideal Christians or the definition of what it means to be spiritual. He will identify Christian virtue with feminine characteristics. That's serious. I tell you what. And then sometimes I, I people say, well, so what do you think about women preachers? Not much. First of all, the Word of God says it can't be. That's what the Word of God, 1 Timothy 2, I don't allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. You say, that's cultural. Read the rest of it. It's not cultural. He goes back to creation. He talks about the woman sitting first. And we say, well, that doesn't... Why don't we just obey what it says? Why don't we just do it? Leadership in the church, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1. Those pronouns are male. They're not female. God wants men to lead in the family. God wants men to lead in the church. Here's what's amazing to me. We've got this drift going on in the evangelical church. It's okay for women to teach men, even though the scripture forbids it. Here's the other thing that we never even think about. We got a generation of men and young men who have been feminized because they've been under the influence uh, of women their entire life and now you're gonna put a woman up there? Men need men. Men need strong men to show them what the scriptures say and to model what the scriptures say. You see? I've seen young guys who have been sitting under very popular women Bible teachers who have actually taken on the characteristics and mannerisms of those women teachers, and they don't even know it. Okay, you guys still with me? Uh, Here's the good news. This can be reversed. Okay. Uh, and I'm going to show you, I'm going to, show, I'm going to go to the book of Judges in a minute. But let me just finish this out here. thought <sighs> oh, we'd go light tonight. <laughs> but, but what did John Adams say? John Adams said, you know, this particular year I've had time to think. See, it's good to stop and think, because when you think, then you can kind of figure out, well, why do we have these problems? But if you have time to think, you can kind of figure out why we are where we are. Okay. Oh, and by the way, once again, why is this such a big deal? Uh, Let's get real practical here. How many of you guys have daughters at home under your roof? Let me see your hands. Okay. Now, I don't know how old they are, but at some point, some guy's going to come in there, and if you're fortunate, he's going to want to marry her. Okay? Now, a lot of guys are hoping they can just live with her. Okay, and obviously that's, okay. So he's going to come in and he's going to come into her life. Now he's probably going to be feminized because he's a part of this culture. What do you do with a feminized young guy? Well, you've got to determine how extreme it is and you've got to determine if he's teachable. I, I see a, a, I've see. talked to a lot of guys and they say, you know, this kid doesn't know spiritual leadership because his dad wasn't around. Or his dad wasn't a spiritual leader. It's very clear his mom runs the show. He's a good kid. He's teachable. So, you know, you just kinda kinda watch it and all that. But can I say this to you? That can be reversed. That can be reversed. In the book of Judges, God, well, I'm gonna go to the book of Judges in a minute. The book of Judges, to me, very clearly parallels where we are as a country because it was a time of spiritual decline in the nation. And they went through spir- uh, declines uh, uh, cycles of spiritual decline. And God would raise up what you call judges. Judges in the sense of being deliverers, saviors. And it would get so bad It would get so bad in the nation. And the book of Judges follows the book of Joshua. Joshua said, it's for me and my house. We will serve the Lord. But when Joshua died, they peeled off and started worshiping the gods of the other nations around them. And as a judgment, God would give them uh, rulers from these other nations. He would give them foreign-born rulers to dominate them and run their lives. So what would happen is, it would get bad and bad and bad, and they would be oppressed. And then finally, out of desperation, they would call out to the Lord, and the Lord would raise up a judge. And then they would be delivered, and then after they were delivered, they'd fall back into their old ways, and they'd get even worse and worse and worse, and it would go all the way down, and then it would be repeated. One of the guys was Gideon. Gideon was of the smallest tribe. He was of the most insignificant family of all the tribes. And the Lord comes to him and says, Gideon, mighty warrior. I'm sure he was looking around. Mighty warrior. He wasn't a mighty warrior. He, he's of the uh, his family was probably the least in all of Israel, and he's threshing grain in fear of the of, of the oppressing nations. He's doing it in secret. You see, I mean, this guy was a nobody. Came from a long line of no leadership. Bless you, Almighty <laughs> oh, warrior. There must be someone standing behind me. What do you mean mighty warrior? You know what's interesting to me about that? God addressed him not as to who he was. God addressed him as to who God wanted him to become. That's what you do with these young men. you got to have vision. You take these guys. The question is, are they teachable? Are they teachable? Then you start working with them. Okay? Now, watch. You guys follow me here? Okay. So we got the problem of uh, feminization, okay? It's not homosexuality, it's not effeminacy. It can be reversed. Now now he's, now he's gonna tell us how it can be reversed. I'm gonna read you a couple of pages on how it can be reversed, if I can find the right, all right? He says, two crucial areas in the character formation of men must, must be dealt with successfully if men are to be effectively formed in manly Christian character. And see, that's what it means to act like a man. It's Christian character. It's always character. The issue is always, it is always character. Always. You never get past character. We try to ignore it, we try to say it's not that big of a deal. It's a huge deal, isn't it? You know it and I know it. Yeah. Paul says, you follow me as I follow Christ. So we're forming Christian character. That's the point, is to grow in Christ. As a a parent, as a father, you'll never be perfect. But, But here's the thing. One of the attributes of a Christian father is when you mess up, you admit it. When you mess up, you confess it. When, when you've done damage, you go and try to fix it. When you've, when you've wounded a heart, you start talking. And you confess. Because you don't want to embitter them, do you? You don't want to do it. And it can so easily happen with us as guys. We don't even intend for it to happen. So if there's been a wound, if there's been a hurt, it's the job of a Christian man, of a godly man. You take the first step. You take the initiative and you go make it right. And don't say, forgive me if I was wrong. You were wrong. Don't do that. You'll undercut yourself. Say I was wrong. Confess it. The bl- uh, Corey Ten Boom said the blood of Jesus is never cleansed an excuse. Don't make excuses. You say, I, I messed up. Would you forgive me? Listen to this. The first and primary area is that of training men to take social responsibility. Men have a natural tendency to avoid social responsibility and instead follow one of two other directions. Either they will tend to follow the course of self-aggrandizement and pleasure-seeking, or if they are feminized, or at least cowed by women in social situations, they will tend to withdraw and take responsibility only in the areas which they stake out for themselves as those where they achieve. Men assume social responsibility most naturally and effectively. You say, what's this about? Well, if your daughter's going to marry a guy down the road, don't you want him to be socially responsible for her and for the kids? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. When Rachel started going out with court, and my son John saw court and said, I've been watching this guy, Dad, and he needs to meet Rachel. Then they start going out, and they had something. I was out of town. Mary was with them somewhere in Dallas. and about 10, 30, 11, she was going to leave at some restaurant. I don't know what it was. And Court says, let me walk you to your car. And she said, you don't need to do that. It's well lit. It's a parking lot. He goes, no, I'm going to walk you. Mary said, you really? He said, I'm going to walk you to your car, Mary. She told me that. When she told me that, I called him up on the phone. I said, hey, Court. He goes, Yeah. I said, I want to thank you for walking Mary to the car the other night. Uh, that's a manly thing. A lot of guys wouldn't even think of it. But you, you know what I see in you? You're a protector. You're responsible. You, you know how that makes me feel about you? I like that. See, you, you, you cared for Mary, and she said, oh, you don't. And you went in. No, no, I'm going to do it. You were going to do it. You were going to do it. See, that tells me you'll do that for Rachel. And you know, I, we, we, we've been looking for a guy that's a protector. Because we believe in our family and men are to protect their women. You see? a so way to go. Way to go. I'm proud of you. He was being socially responsible. You see? You see, that's very simple. It's so simple, most guys don't even get it or think about it. Right? Yeah. We went to the Fort Worth, what uh, do you call that thing with all the plants? Arboretum um, uh, on Sunday. And I was in the front, court was in, he was driving, and he, went, he, he opened Mary's door. You know, a lot of women, you're not, well, you're not supposed to. No, we do that. Some men do. Now, if a guy does that, he's going to take care of other things. Okay. Let, let me, I don't want to get off too far here. Men assume social responsibility most naturally and effectively when it is clear to them that the primary responsibility for the well-being of others rests on them and that others are relying on them. And two, when they've been trained from an early age by the men in their lives to recognize and assume that responsibility faithfully. Chuck Bednarik. You ever heard of him? He went both ways in the NFL for the Philadelphia Eagles. He's in the Hall of Fame. He played center and he was a linebacker. The guy, I saw him interview the other night, he's like 81 years old. I still wouldn't miss with that sucker. <laughs> A tough, uh, you know, Eastern European family, they come over. Someone asked him in Sports Illustrated, uh, uh, some say you were the best football player to ever come out of Pennsylvania. He said, I wouldn't even the best football player to come out of my family. And he wasn't. He had all these brothers. And they all went on and were successful in business and all this stuff. You know what their dad did? Their dad worked in the mines as all the other dads did. But the dad, their dad had one rule. You know what the rule was? My boys don't work in the mines. I'm the only one who works in the mines. Yeah, you're not going in the mines. You're going to school and you're gonna finish and you're gonna get your grades and you're gonna go on and you're gonna get what you need to get where you need to be in life. You're not going in the mines I'm in the mines. And you know what their father did? He was in the mines and he died early. Why? Because he gave his boys a shot. They weren't going in the mines. That's what you call being socially responsible. Is it not? That's what men do. Men don't look out for their own needs. They look out for the needs of others. Okay? So, ideally, how does a boy learn that? You learn it when you're trained by men in your life but what if you don't learn that within well, boy see boys need to be boys who haven't gotten that need to be with other men you see this is why I was saying if if there are young men in your sphere of influence if you're a grandpa and you got a grandson just t- hang out with the kid take him go to a Rangers game you don't have to open Romans 9 and exegete it the key word in mentoring young men is the word with Hello. That's my phone. It's my pool guy. See. This is this will not work, Jason. We we gotta use that timer back there. That's that's kind of funny. Okay. (laughs) Sorry about that. Man, I was on a roll there for a minute. Um you gotta spend time with. With, so Roger, you go to Alaska almost every summer, and you always take your boys, your grandsons, right? That's great, isn't that great? You've been doing that for years. I got a buddy who's got a a a ranch out of ways, and he's always got a son. He's always got his little grandsons with him. What do they do? They're just weathering. They go fish. They go, you know, shoot some birds. They go throw rocks. You know, he hasn't cushioned the ground. They ride bikes, they don't wear helmets. <laughs> just be with. Just be with. You see? Younger guys need to be with men. They just, and they watch them and they observe them. Just watch how you handle situations. They're just with. Okay, now here's the second critical area. In case you think I'm just rambling, I want to show you something. Because we're talking about, what, what, what are we doing tonight? Act like men we got a problem because we've lost manhood. How do you get it back? What if they're feminized? It can be reversed. Now watch this. Here's the second thing. This is critical. The second crucial area for developing manly character is aggressiveness. If there's anything our culture doesn't want out of men, it's aggressiveness. Do they? The key factor, uh, I'm sorry, the second critical area for developing manly character is aggressiveness. So Jim Williams is sitting right here. Jim's going to be inducted in the Cotton Bowl Hall of Fame this month. He wouldn't, you're embarrassed, Jim. You're already turning red. But Jim played at Arkansas. What years, Jim? Sixty-two through five. Sixty-two through five. You played what position? Defensive tackle. You were a defensive tackle. How much did you weigh? Two oh eight. And then you played in the NFL. One year. One year. And what was your position? You were a linebacker. And you're going to go up against linemen that are 260, 270, 280, 290. And you're 208. Uh, now, Jim is embarrassed. He's, he's going to get mad at me for telling you this. But um, you know why Jim is going to be inducted? He was aggressive. He was aggressive. He, he followed that ball. He, were that ball. he was aggressive. He was aggressive. In our culture with men, we don't want men to be aggressive. Listen to this. The second critical area for developing manly character is aggressiveness. Men are and should be naturally aggressive. Watch this. They will be aggressive unless early in life they are taught to be afraid of hurting themselves. Which is why I started off with cushioned playgrounds. So if you fall off your tricycle, you don't skin your knee and hurt yourself and little three-year-olds wearing helmets so that they won't hurt themselves. If you instill a fear in a little boy of getting hurt, he will not be appropriately aggressive. Now, with little boys, you've got to channel aggression because boys, as that picture, boys are crazy. A boy will just climb a 40-foot oak tree and, and, and jump. Well, I used to come home from conference, conference. It was always interesting when my boys were in junior high, high school. And I might have, forgive me if I, I came home one time and Mary, I, I, she picked me up at the airport, and, and I'm sure I told you this story a week ago. Or, but she, I, I, You know, she picked me up. How was the conference? Fine. I said, good. How are things at home? She said, John's going to be fine. <laughs> I said, what do you do this time? Well, they were at a kid's house and they were swimming and they decided it'd be fun to dive off the two-story roof but it was too far to the water. But they had a trampoline on the side of the house. And John said, hey, maybe we could jump and hit the trampoline and then hit the water. And John's about 210. And nobody would do it. John said, I'll do it. And he hits that trampoline and drives it straight into the ground. And the paramedics came and He had no feeling below his neck. But he's going to be fine. He can feel now. He's fine. I said he's fine. He's fine. Good, because I'm gonna beat the crud out of him when I get home. <laughs> so boys, you want to be aggressive, but they need fathers and grandpas to help them channel the aggressiveness, because boys can do, go too far. Boys need wisdom put into their lives, don't they? Yeah, they do. Remember that in my prayer, I mentioned Psalm 68, to the Lord belongs, escapes from death. You think back when you were in high school and college. Most of us have stories, it's amazing we're alive. Why? Because we are aggressive and we were stupid. You've got to learn to channel aggressiveness. Turn with me to uh, Judges chapter 4. I've had to set this up. J- Judges is the book that so clearly parallels our day And as I'm I'm going to Judges chapter 4, and I'm going to show you something here in just a second. When you get to Judges chapter 4, the the book of Judges was between Joshua and then you've got Samuel. And Samuel is going to, they're going to start getting kings in Israel, Saul and the house of David. But the book of Judges was a horrible time. It was a time of spiritual deterioration. They kept cycling downward. And the theme of the book of Judges is that every man did what was right in his own eyes. Now, as we go there, I want you to put your finger there and then listen. I'm going to give you a definition. Because I've referred to the phrase in Corinthians, act like men. I want to give you the word. Here's what the word means. That word we translate, act like men, is actually the Greek word "andrizomai." A-N-D-R-I. Z-O-M-A-I, andrisomai, uh, A-N-D-R-I, Z-O-M-A-I. Andrisomai is a frequent command in the Septuagint. What's the Septuagint? The Septuagint was the Old Testament scriptures translated in Greek. Because most of them didn't speak Hebrew or read Hebrew, but they knew Greek. So they took the Old Testament, put it in the Greek. That's the Septuagint. Andrisomai is a frequent command in the Septuagint, now watch this, is used in context encouraging people, especially soldiers, to act with courage and strength in obedience to the Lord and with confidence in His power. I'm going to say that again. Act like men, what does it mean? It means to act with courage and strength, watch this, in obedience to the Lord. <laughs> In this culture, it takes a man to follow Christ because the whole culture is going downstream and you're swimming upstream. It is not popular to follow Christ. To act with courage and strength and obedience to the Lord, watch this, and confidence in his power. That's what it means, Andresomai, to act like men. Okay? You got that definition? Now look at Judges chapter 4. You got a situation in Judges 4. Where the nation is in such bad shape That God cannot find a male leader to deliver them So there is a godly woman named Deborah Now a lot of the Christian feminists Will use Deborah and say Oh yeah, see, this is fine Women are to oversee men and all this stuff In the church and all that The problem they forget is the context of the book of Judges The reason that And Deborah was a godly woman The reason she's she's in the position she's in Is that all the men had punted That's why she's there and you're gonna see her character and her wonderful character and her love of God and how she's gonna chide a man who should have taken an area of responsibility who wouldn't do it. You got a situation where the nation is gonna be attacked by the by these foreigners, and they got nine hundred chariots. Chariots were the tanks of the day. They were the greatest weapon. They had armored chariots, they could turn on a dime. You know how many chariots Israel had? Zero. God said you can't have chariots. Because I don't want you trusting in chariots, I want you trusting in me. All right. Um, verse 3 of 4, the sons of Israel cried to the Lord, for he had 900 iron chariots. He oppressed the sons of Israel for, for 20 years. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at the time. She was a civil judge. They'd have disputes, she would, they would come and they'd talk to her. In, 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 uh, in Job 29, Job was a judge. He would sit at the city gates. He would rule over them. They would, look, they would stand when he walked in because of his wisdom. See, Job was a great man. Okay. She used to sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the country of Ephraim, and the sons of Israel came up for her for judgment. She sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kedesh Naphtali, and said to him, Behold, the Lord God, the God of Israel, has is commanded, go and march to Mount Tabor. And you know what's great about going to Israel you'll see this whole thing laid out. You're right there at Mount Tabor. You're right there and you can see the whole thing. It's great. Go and march to Mount Tabor. Take with you 10,000 men from the sons of Naphtali and the sons of Zebulun. I will draw out to you Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his many troops to the river Kishon, and I will give them into your hand. That's what God says. You go out there with your men. Deborah's relaying this to him. Lord wants you to go do this. Take your guys, And yeah, they got 900 chariots, but the Lord's going to fight for you. You go out there and you take these guys on. Okay? You got that, Barack? Okay. Watch his response. Then Barack said to her, If you will go with me, then I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. That's a feminized man. Was he acting like a man? No. You know what he said? He said, I'll go if my mommy goes with me. But if my mommy doesn't go with me, I'm not going. This is the best military guy in Israel. You talk about a, a, a nation in turmoil. By the way, what does Andrisomai mean again? You put Andrisomai, act like men, up against this guy. It means to act, this is a word especially to soldiers, to act with courage and strength in obedience to the Lord. What did the Lord just say? You go out there and you station right out there by Mount Tabor. Okay, that's what you do. Did he do it? No. Oh, and you go out with confidence in his power. Did he do that? That's my phone again. I'm sorry, guys. Um, I'm really sorry and embarrassed about this. There you go. Thank you. Did he do it? No, he didn't do it. He didn't act like a man. He was feminized. Notice what Deborah says to him. She said, I will surely go with you. I won't, I won't go unless you go with me. What does she say? Surely I will go with you. Nevertheless, the honor shall not be yours on the journey that you are about to take. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. I'll go, but you ought to be going by yourself, trusting in God. You know what this guy was? This guy was passive. Uh, guys, we're in trouble. It can be overwhelming. Can it not? Flip over to Psalm 27, and I'm done. Sometimes God has... uh, uh, So much of the Christian life, so much of the Christian life is doing two things. The Christian life is fighting off fear, and it's walking by faith that God will fulfill His word. In your life, is there not, are there not things in your life right now that scare you? Yeah, there are. And the fact of the matter is, if God doesn't come through for you, you're finished. What we want in the situations where we find ourselves as men, what we want when we get anxious and we get worried, you know what we want? We want immediate relief. Don't we? Sure we do. Lord, get me out of this thing. We want immediate relief, and we want out of it right now. But you know, oftentimes what God will do is He will leave us in a difficult situation because He wants to teach us some lessons. May I say about not only becoming. <laughs> I, here's what I want to say he, He'll leave us in a situation and not give us immediate relief because He wants us to become stronger and more spiritual men. You see? What, what, what again is andrisomai? To act with courage and strength in obedience to the Lord, even when you don't see your immediate circumstances changing, and to act with confidence in his power. So then you get to Psalm 27, where David is scared to death, and David says, the Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Well, Saul and his armies that are trying to kill him. Then he says, the Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? Notice his notice his focus on God. For ten years, he's on the run every night, sleeping in a different place. But did God give him immediate relief? No, not for quite a while. But David was growing. David was maturing in his confidence in the power of God. He he was acting with courage and strength and obedience to the Lord. He wasn't disobeying. Then flip down to verse thirteen. Here, watch watch the motivation in David's heart. He said, "I would have despaired unless I had believed." that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He hadn't been delivered yet. So watch what he says in 14. As he still as his fears are surrounding him and he's still in very desperate straits, watch what he says. Wait for the Lord. Watch this. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. That's acting like a man. That's what men do. You stay at your post, and you obey, and you wait for the deliverance of God. You do what you can do legitimately within your power, and then you trust and you wait for God to come through for you. You don't run. You don't bail. You stay at your post. That's what men do. It might be a marriage situation. You know the problem with men bailing in marriages? They got boys watching them. That's the problem. Those boys are going to get married? Those girls are going to get married? Is life going to get hard? Is life going to get disappointing? Is it going to get very difficult? Yeah. And what are they going to want to do? They're going to want to bail. Oh, and guess what? They're probably going to think back, well, I bet your mom and dad were instant switching like this and it was really tough, was just as tough as this. But they're going to look and say, you know, I'm I'm glad Dad stayed the course. I'm watching a young couple right now. I'm watching a young couple. I've known the little girl, the mother. She has three kids under the age of six. I've known her since she was five years old. She's married, got three little kids. She is deathly ill. Deathly ill. Uh, Almost completely incapacitated. They're doing everything they can do to keep her alive. There is a line going directly into her heart, feeding her antibiotics. She is a sweetheart. Uh, We're we're very close with with her and her, her mom and dad. She married a guy and I'm really good friends with her dad. They come from good stock. They're in the worst crisis of their lives. Three little kids under six, he's got to get up at six, help her with some things you normally wouldn't expect she would need help with. Got to be back at work at two to help her again. Puts her to bed tonight, at night. It's been this way for months and they're exhausted. They can't even see straight. You know how fortunate she is? Because this young guy is acting like a man. He's exhausted. He's worn out. A lot of guys would say, this is not what I signed up for. You know what? It's exactly what you signed up for. And some guys, I want to say this and I'm done. Some guys, you look over your past and you say, man, Steve, I screwed up. See, I didn't do that. I cut out well you may have yeah I'm on this second marriage or third or whatever it is can I say this to you then make this one work just make it work that's behind you nothing you can do Paul said forgetting what lies behind I press see it's not what you were it's who you are in Christ Old warrior you're growing in Christ you're growing in Christ stay where you are do the work act like a man God will honor you. And those around you will benefit. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your truth, for your word, for your encouragement. We've all failed. We've all fallen short. You pick us up. You're our Savior. You're our Deliverer. May we be quick, quick to confess our faults and can confess our sin. There may be even... Uh, how many times have I had to go to family members and ask their forgiveness? We're for not acting the way that I should have. And then you fix it, and you heal it, and there's honesty and vulnerability and a few tears and some hugs and forgiveness, and then you move on. That's how it is. Just as you forgave us, we'll forgive one another. May favor be upon our homes and our children. You love our kids more than we do. Bring great favor and blessing, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.